that one sheet of paper that I could hand to my fellow security engineer and tell him, that's all I have understood from the process control engineer and now we need to secure it. We don't have that. Welcome everybody to the Industrial Security Podcast. My name is Nate Nelson. I'm here with Andrew Ginter, the Vice President of Industrial Security at Waterfall Security Solutions. He's going to introduce the subject and the guest of today's show. Andrew, how are you? I'm very well. Thank you, Nate. Our guest today is Sarah Flukes. She is the Head of Security Engineering at Admiritia. She's going to be talking to us about some work that Admiritia is doing, that she's been doing at Admiritia. Um, you know, working with the engineering community to define a new approach for security engineering. Okay, here's you and Sarah. Hello, Sarah, and thank you for joining us. You're talking to us about problems and approaches to security engineering. Can you start at the beginning? Um, where does it all start? How, what, you know, what is security engineering and, and, and what's the problem with it? You know what's strange? If you have an automation engineer, they love to build things. They know their systems really well. And if you go to an engineer, automation engineer or to talk about his systems, he's like, I know these things don't mess with my, with my systems. Um, but if you go to an automation engineer and talk to him about security, he's like, oh, well, these are my systems. Please make them secure. So they're taking a passive part in that. Um and during the last years, always when a new automation technology was raised or something was raised, um, there was always someone ste stepping up saying, have you thought about security? And the thing is, automation engineers do want to tackle that. They do want to think about security, but mostly they're just looking back at you and say, um, well, I would love to, but tell me how. How do we do that? So if that's the problem, how do we address it? You know, what, what's the right way to, to, to go forward? Well, we are at Maritia, we are consultants. So engineers come to us if they have a problem concerning security. And our role really is enablement. So we want to empower them to take responsibility for their own system security. We want to, to, to lead them to the how. Um, we want to teach them how. Um, and because that's our role, we, of course, had to develop uh, methods and uh, models and ways in order to do security, but from the engineer's perspective, because the engineers are the ones knocking on our doors and want, want to know how, we do how to do security. So, Nate, let me jump in real quick here. Um, Admiritia is a German company, um, and what we're talking about here is engineering. And, you know, there is the... the the reputation the Germans have for, uh, you know, outstanding engineering. Uh, the sense I got in in talking to Sarah here was that uh, Admiritia is, you know, deeply embedded in the German engineering culture. They're a consultant to engineers. And, you know, what she's talking about here is what they're observing in the engineers that come to them. There's a, there's a, she's, she's basically saying, look, there's a gap. Um, you know, engineers want to do the right thing security-wise, and they simply don't know how. There really isn't a discipline of security engineering that is anywhere near mature. And Admiritia is working with the German engineering community and other engineering communities uh, to develop that uh, security engineering methodology, that discipline, to the point where it is mature in the sense that, that all of the other engineering disciplines are mature in terms of their problem-solving methodology. So when an engineer or an engineering team comes to you folks and says, 
I have this problem. Where do you start? How does it how does it work? So at last year's S4, I think I presented a model which was more as a thought model, a procedure model, how to do security engineering. Um, it's not rocket science. <laughs> it's more or less uh, a meta model that we created in order to fit in all the existing procedure models that are there just to compare them to um, show their commonalities and the differences and to build something that leads our clients, leads the engineers through the security engineering process. Because it's not that hard. What it boils down to is more or less you have um, four layers that you need to go through, four steps you need to go through. Of course, you can make them more detailed. But um, the first is always you have the function layer. So you need to understand the function of the systems you want to secure. You need to understand what to secure. And the second one is risk. So you need to know what problems you have, um, what you want to um, secure against. So what, what the uncertainties are you're securing against, what the threats are, the vulnerabilities are, um, what the problem is you're solving. And then third, you've got the requirements layer, which is basically there in order to, which is a very engineering kind of approach, uh, separate requirements from the implementation, which is the third, the fourth layer is the implementation layer. So we've got third, the security requirements, which nail down how you want to solve the problem that you um, described in the function and risk layer. And then you've got the implementation layer, which basically describes how you want to um, implement a solution, but uh, and, and in the end, what technology you need to use to implement that security solution or that set of solutions, because it's not always just technical solutions, obviously. So I don't think I'm going to explain all that model in detail, because there's a paper about it, and you can watch the S4 talk, so that's not the um, material of the podcast today. Uh, can I clarify your, your comment on risk? I mean, some people think risk is a list of all of the software vulnerabilities. Other people think risk is an understanding of which bad guys are coming after us and how they're coming after us. There's a lot of pieces to it. What What is your view on, you know, what what? how do you see risk? So for us, that's, that's the reason I, um, I said threats or vulnerabilities or anything because risk really can be anything. And the entire idea of that procedure model is to be as neutral as possible. So any method, how you would, uh, identify risk, be it threat modeling or be it uh, even threat intelligence or be it pen penetration tests and finding vulnerabilities and software vulnerabilities, all that would be um, sensible methods for identifying risk. And all these you put together uh, in that procedure model. And that's why this procedure model exists because you need something neutral and you need to have the possibility to interchange methods on each step. Andrew, these four steps sound pretty straightforward, pretty intuitive to me thus far. It does sound fairly straightforward, but um, you know, my recollection of the interview was that it gets very complicated later on. Maybe the missing piece, what what I didn't get when you know during the interview, is that yeah, the the approach that that Sarah's described here is, far as I know, basic engineering. I'm not an engineer. It means you know, um, understand what you have, understand the problem you're trying to solve, understand the, you know, determine what are the requirements for solving the problem, and and select a solution. It, it's basic engineering. Um, I think what made it difficult for me when when I was uh, going through this was that I didn't understand that 
what Sarah's talking about is not you know, redesigning any one of these steps, she's going to be talking about redesigning the connection between these steps. And, you know, maybe that that uh, little nugget is something that's going to make the rest of, of the conversation uh, easier to understand than, than I did the first time. So in your four layers, function, risk, requirements, implementation, it all starts with function. How do you start? How do you do that? So the function layer is actually the most important part of it. And it's also the most time-consuming part because you have to, lot of, to have to understand a lot of information that's already been there, that's been created by different disciplines. And we really don't have, for security, what we don't have is a concise model, a system model that contains in an easy-to-communicate way um, all the information that you need in order to secure a system. Um, and that's the most basic thing you need in order to secure systems. That's your basis, your fundament for security engineering. Um, so maybe it works with this analogy. So what we need is um, something like a P&I diagram for security. So a piping and instrumentation diagram for security. Because um, piping and instrumentation diagrams, if you look closer at them, they are, they are there um, because... Process engineers need to model how their um, plants work. So there's the piping, there's uh, sensors, there's actuators. Um, you quickly grasp when you look at the P&I diagram what the entire plant is about. And then there's also a part um, which is called PCE requests, which tells control engineers PCE requests because it's called process control engineer requests um, or engineering requests. Um, these requests tell the process control engineers all information they need to know in addition to the process engineering part um, in order to design to engineer their control systems. Can you give me an example of what one of those PCE requests would look like? They are basically um, a request for um, you're going to request for a control loop. So there's a control loop, for example, the PCE request tells you you need to control um, uh, pressure here or you need to control uh, temperature at that part. And you have a certain uh, alarm uh, that goes off when the temperature rises at a high point, for example. So that could all be information that's in these PCE requests. And the important part of the P&I diagram is that it separates functionality and technology. So it says, I need a pump functionality, but it doesn't, doesn't tell you which kind of pump you need. That would be the engineering then. So in a way, the P&I diagram is the interface between the physical world and the control system world. Um, the electronical world, and also it's the interface between two engineering disciplines. It's the interface between um, process design engineering and process control engineering. And in a way, process control engineering is a kind of auxiliary discipline for process engineering because if there wouldn't, if it wouldn't be for the process, you wouldn't need any uh, control engineering. Automation is just there to make the process that is the main main purpose you have more efficient to automate it so in order to do automation and to do control system engineering you need to understand very well what the process you're automating is about and in a way that's very similar with security because um, now we're taking the next layer um, the process engineers process control engineers designed their control systems and we as the, as the security engineers 
are just an auxiliary discipline for these process control engineers because there would be no necessity for our for our discipline if we wouldn't have control systems. There would be no no need for control system security without control systems. It's easy, and so you can't really do control system security well without really well understanding the control systems. And so we also an inter we also need an interface like the PNI diagram is for process uh, engineers to process control engineers. We need an interface from process control engineers to, to security engineers, because we just didn't the auxiliary discipline for the process control engineers. Andrew, you said a moment ago that uh, this interview was going to get a bit complicated. Um, I believe you now. Okay, yeah. So let me let me dive into it uh, again. I, I found the uh, uh, you know Sarah mentioned uh, a recording, a video on S four. I found that very useful. Uh, I went through it, and you know I'm gonna I'm gonna go through some of these concepts. My apologies to the process engineers in our audience because I'm probably going to butcher some of these concepts. But uh, I hope to get enough across that you know, we'll be able to make sense of things. Um, Sarah just used an analogy. This is the piping and instrumentation diagram. This is something that comes out of process engineering, process industries. In the process industries, we're manipulating things that are kind of like fluids. Uh, you know, think a, a hydro plant where you've got uh, water coming through turbines, turning the turbine to produce electricity, or uh, a refinery where you have uh you know, unprocessed oil going into a catalytic cracker, getting heated up, getting transformed into other substances that are siphoned off at different levels of the cracker. So in these process industries, uh, in, in those examples, there's piping, okay? The, 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 the material being produced is a fluid. Pipes are carrying the fluid. The process engineers are the chemical engineers or, you know, the fluid mechanical engineers, and they are designing the piping, and they're designing the, the, the physical process, be it the turbine or the, uh, the chemical processes. And so there's a standard sort of diagram that these folks use to say, here is what piping looks like for the entire refinery, drill down into each of these pieces. And there's you know, nested uh, piping diagrams that go all the way through explaining how the entire thing looks. And they annotate these diagrams with required instrumentation. So they'll say, um, I need this tank kept at between 10 and 13% of, of uh, full on the bottom. So I have lots of room on the top for the gases to evaporate because I'm heating the bottom. And, you know, I need it kept at this temperature and that pressure and this level. And they annotate the piping diagrams to say what is needed of the control, the process control functions. So this diagram is, is produced by the process engineers because they understand what they need in the physical process and they hand it off to the control engineers. The control engineers are the ones that, you know, understand how to design control systems. They understand PLCs and historians and HMIs. They understand how to produce procedures for the operators to use everything they produce in, in terms of software. They're, they're focused a lot on, on the, the software end of control systems and they use this process or sorry the piping and instrumentation diagram to design the control system and what sarah is saying is that look in the security engineering world we have a problem we don't have anything analogous 
to a piping and instrumentation diagram. That diagram is the interface between the process engineer and the control engineer. What we need is a similar convention, a similar way to describe the problem as the interface between the control engineer who understands the control system and the security engineer who needs to design the security system for the control system. That piece of the puzzle, the connection, the, the way to communicate between the control engineer and the security engineer is the missing link. And this is what she's going to be talking about for the rest of the interview. So this begs the question, if the PNI diagram for security engineers does not exist, um, you know, how do you do your work? Are, are you inventing this as you go? So that's really the strange thing is it, it doesn't really exist so far. I have no clue how other people do security engineering because when we come to a site and we need to understand quickly uh, what the functions, uh, the most essential functions of a, of a plant are, um, maybe it's just me as an engineer, but I want something, I want something like a model, I want a sheet of paper where I can put all this information. So that one sheet of paper that I could hand to my fellow security engineer and tell him that's all I have understood from the process control engineer and now we need to secure it. We don't have that. So we actually um, trying to develop something like this. It's not that easy because security engineering is not just about technology. So it's not done with PCE requests which, which contain uh, pressure and target pressure and things like that. But it's, it's also people, people business. So you always have to um, incorporate in your model in a way um, organizational processes and human roles, things people are doing, uh, and also, of course, technology. So functions of systems you have and communication between these systems you have. And we actually start building these um, models based on what we call use cases. So there's person A, which does something with system B, and system B communicates with protocol C with system D. And that's how we try to build these um, uh, system models for security engineering. So the interface between the process control engineering and the security engineering. And it's really important to have the process control engineers in these sessions because they're the only ones that can give you these, this information. And um, we're actually doing that right now. And during that process, we create hundreds of visual sheets that are not really easily maintainable. Um, they are not as standardized as something we have in a PNI diagram. The beauty in the PNI diagram is that it's um, highly standardized, but it's standardized in a visual way that's easily human readable. So it's intuitive to read, and you can uh, quickly grasp all the relevant information out of it if you look at it, if, if you know how to read it. Waterfall Security Solutions is the OT security company, and we are pleased to announce a new white paper, Cybersecurity Imperatives for Vital Rail Networks at Operation Control Centers. Strong cybersecurity is a prerequisite for safe, reliable, and efficient railway operations. Waterfall's unidirectional security gateways provide hardware-based protection for signaling, train safety, energy management, and other vital networks. The gateways replicate critical systems, devices, and protocols 
to external networks unidirectionally. Those replicas provide safe access to Operations Control Center data. To download the white paper, please visit waterfall-security.com and look for Rails under the Industries menu. It sounds to me like uh, Sarah's talking about diagrams, something that we already kind of do in the industry. What's unique about this particular methodology, Andrew? The tricky bit here is that, uh, you know, partly that there's no standard. Um, and, you know, partly because there's no standard, people are all over the place. So let's talk, you know, the, the, the function, the first step is define the functions of the control system. And uh, Sarah's identified that there's two parts in the function. There's the networks and the network diagrams, and there's use cases. The, uh, the network diagrams, um, there's confusion there. In her S4 presentation, she pointed out that a lot of people confuse network diagrams with wiring diagrams. Wiring diagrams are way too detailed. They, they don't show you the right thing. Um, if you look at the ISA standards, which are also called the IEC 62443 standards, um, they talk about defining your networks as zones and conduits. So not every device with every wire that's running into a switch, but groups of devices that have similar functions, that have similar requirements, and the the groups of devices talk to each other. So um, that element of it is, is uh, reasonably well understood if you pick the right standard, if you, if you know to do the, do the right thing, which is to use an abstract representation of the network. And then you couple that, uh, as she you know, mentioned in her, her S4 video, with the use cases, which are scenarios, which are saying, okay, when I have the control system, I use it to do this. I use it to do that. And that leads, that, that understanding of the control system leads into the risk assessment and leads into the security requirements. Okay, but I'm having a difficult time trying to picture what we're talking about. Andrew, have you seen one of these diagrams she's talking about? How do you represent this information in a diagram in the first place? Uh, she did give some examples in uh, you know some of the articles that actually she's published online. If you search for Sarah Flukes and security engineering, you can find them. Um, one of the diagrams I recall is a sort of a time series communications diagram saying, okay, the use case is the operator needs to be able to open a valve on the pipeline. Operators do this, you know, many times each day. How does it work? Well, the operator uh, uses the mouse to control the HMI software. The HMI software reaches across the network, reaches out of the HMI zone into the communications controller zone and instructs the communications controller to send a Modbus message to open the, uh, the, the valve. The Modbus message goes out over the wide area network. And so the diagram looks like entities, you know, person, HMI software, communications controller, um, RTU, and device, the, the valve. And there's arrows that, that go between these entities, and time is the vertical axis. So all of the arrows are uh, sort of moving down because everything takes time to transmit. And there's, uh, you know, there's communications between the, the human and the mouse and the keyboard and the HMI as an arrow and between the HMI and the, the controller as an arrow. And these arrows go down usually to the right and then they come back going back down to the left. It's a very simple scenario. 
more complex scenarios involve multiple entities simultaneously communicating. And you'll see this uh, sort of tracing of messages back and forth with synchronization points where all the messages have to arrive before you can move on to the next one. And this is the, you know, the example she gave of one, one way to think about a use case in terms of what does the control system actually do to achieve a certain function. All right. So it sounds like they've got this stuff figured out. Well, I think Sarah's point is that it's not figured out. They are figuring it out. They are working with engineering teams in one industry, in one enterprise, in another enterprise, and they're working on all of these pieces. And, you know, they know it in their heads, or at least they know as much of it as they've seen. Um, I think Sarah's point is that it's not standard. If you look at, at piping and instrumentation diagrams, there are standards for piping and instrumentation diagrams. They're all the same. Everybody who looks at one who, and, and you know has understands the standard can look at a diagram and understand what it means. There are no standards for this interface between control engineers and security engineers. And what that means is that everyone does it differently. Half the people don't even know how to do it. And, uh, you know, everyone else has no idea if what they're doing is complete. If you move to a new industry, do you need something else? Do you need use cases and network diagrams and something else? It's, uh, you know, until it's standard, until a lot of eyes have looked at it and everyone understands it, uh, we don't have a security engineering discipline. What we have is individual practitioners out there trying to do the best they can, and some of them do better than others. Whereas when it's a discipline, you can see an entire industry, the entire population of, of engineers executing, uh, you know, to, a, to a, a clearly defined, you know, minimal set of expectations. And, and right now, it's not standard. If the, uh, the job of security engineering right now means a lot of uh, Visio diagrams, a lot, you know, hundreds of these things, um, is there a better way going forward? Are, are you folks working on a better way? Of course, there's a way more efficient way. Um, I think everyone who's involved in, um, in, in any way uh, digitalizing things and doing processes on computers um, would know the next step, which is obviously getting this um, in an electronic model. Um, the thing is, you need an, you need a standardized. Um, paper model in order to do it an electronic model because uh, PNI diagrams, if you take them as an example, they're easily human readable, but they're not that easily computer readable because they're not standardized enough. Um, so there's a big step and you first need to standardize what we now do in these Visio models in a, um, in a way that you can also transfer it to a computer, make a computer understand. Because, of course, um, since we said security engineering is always a kind of auxiliary discipline for process control engineering, uh, and we want process control engineers to be able to do it, it needs to be efficient because they have to fit it into their daily routine somehow, into their daily engineering. And it, we cannot reinvent the wheel. We have to use um, whatever they use and we have to make it as efficient as possible and we have to make all the documentation we're creating so the models we're creating and the function layer model is only the first step there's more to become uh, more to come um, then we need to do that in a way that's maintainable um, and that's reusable 
Um, and we need to find a way how to use all the information that we, uh, that other engineering disciplines uh, already produced. We need to leverage all that information that's already there, um, instead of reinventing the wheel. So just take, um, asset inventories. That's a very simple example. But of course, asset inventories, if they are available electronically, they're a really good basis for understanding what you have. Um, and you wouldn't want to do that, to do that again, to collect all that information again. Um, but in order to um, leverage electronic information you may have in different tools, you need a way to make your security engineering model so that PNI diagram kind of model where you put all the information you need for security engineering, you need to make that electronically available because if it isn't, you can't leverage other information that's electronically available. So it, it sounds like a complicated set of requirements. You folks are, are working with these requirements manually now. How does, you know, what's the next step? How does, how does security fit into this? I think first and foremost, if you want to make security engineering efficient and you want to leverage other engineering disciplines information, of course, you need to make your own information electronically available and other disciplines, you need to be able to uh, digest other engineering disciplines, electronically available information. And because security engineering is always a kind of auxiliary discipline, we always have to work together with many other disciplines. Um, we have just have to accept the fact that there will always be a lot of different tools for different disciplines which are not compatible. Uh, that won't change. And that, in fact, is not a problem that is in any way unique or new for control system engineers because they've been living with that for ages. There are CAD tools and there are uh, PCE tools and there are robotics engineering tools and kinematic tools. And they need to interchange the information um, between these tools and they um, do that um, in exactly the way that uh, they do the um, paper exchange as well. So they have the P&I diagram in order to have the um, human interface, human readable interface between different engineering disciplines. And they have neutral data exchange formats, one of which is automation XML or automation ML in order to have the electronically available interface between different engineering formats. And there's a really big uh, chance in uh, leveraging all that information that we have in the control system engineering process. Um, just take uh, safety engineering, functional safety engineering. They have a really systematic way of outlining consequences, like worst, worst case consequences, high level consequ consequences, high risk consequences, and uh, modeling risk. And of course, that's not entirely the perspective we need for security engineering, but it's a great input for security engineering. We don't need to, again, we don't need to reinvent the wheel on how to um, find out the most vulnerable processes and the most vulnerable uh, system components if safety engineering has done that already. So if you find a way to leverage all that information, um, then we could be just much more efficient and security engineering could also be uh, much more accepted on, uh, um, amongst control system engineers because it comes from within what they are doing. Um, and also it gives them the chance to, uh, what we said at the beginning, 
to take securities for their control systems in their own hands. So um, do it from their perspective, with their tools, um, in their way of thinking, um, using their methods and enhancing their methods. But really the only way to exchange all that information efficiently in a standardized way is that we need a kind of model in order to get all the information in, and that would be the PNID, the PNI diagram for security, the equivalent for that. One more clarification. Um, Sarah mentioned the, the the interface to safety engineers. She's talked about network diagrams. She's talked about use cases. Uh, you know, talked about the, the the timing diagrams for messaging as part of a use case. Um, I just wanted to give one more example. We had. Um, James McGlone from uh, Kinexis on the show talking about uh, their security PHA review book that the ISA just published. Um, and I just wanted to point out there is, you know, yet another uh, format for communication that is reasonably standard. And that's the process hazard analysis. And that's a table with columns like uh, what is the deviation from normal that we're observing what's the consequence of that deviation, a safety consequence. How severe is that consequence? What's the likelihood of that consequence? Columns like this, and they're talking about annotating that safety analysis with a column for the the, the security requirements. So that's yet another uh, piece of the puzzle that that's uh, that. Sarah's talking about as part of the the PNI diagram for security engineering. So it's it's it sounds like there's a, there's a lot of pieces to it, and there's probably the same pieces for reliability. You know, possibly coming out of something like the CCE methodology that uh, we had uh, Andrew Bachman on talking about from Idaho National Labs. There's a lot of pieces in this puzzle that need to be put together into a standard. I think is is the point she's making. So how far away are we from having this? P&I style interface between the control engineers and the security engineers defined and, you know, maybe even standardized. We're working on it. And we know that we will never be able to do that alone. Um, and it shouldn't be done by security consultants alone. We do need the control engineers in there. We actually started uh, um, applied for a research project doing that uh, for the next year and coming years. Um, and I also think most, like like all the other models, the PNI diagram didn't really wasn't created overnight. It's standardized, and as we all know, standardization takes a long time. It's consensus based, and during that time, it also it it gets pushed forward. It gets brought forward, but it also gets better um, because control engineering is already a discipline that um, is has interfaces to many, many other engineering disciplines. And for security, I guess it's even worse. So we, get, we need to get so many different disciplines on one table. Um, and yeah, and that's why it's, it's going to take some time. So this has been really great, Sarah. We're, we're coming up on the end of the episode. Did you want to sum up? Is there a thought you'd like to leave with our listeners? So actually two thoughts. <laughs> um, start with the more general one. Um, we've just been here at S4 this year again, and, uh, like most years, um, we've talked a lot about, um, finding vulnerabilities, about knowing more about threat actors, um, and all that research is important. It's good that we have, uh, it's good that we have that, but we must not forget that after 
uh, letting control engineers know, uh, know that their systems are vulnerable, that their systems are insecure, we owe them uh, then what? So we owe them uh, an idea to uh, how to secure the systems. And um, we owe them that not only for a single vulnerability. So this is a vulnerability, do this, and then it, it goes away. But we need to provide them with something more general, um, do this, uh, take these steps and uh, contribute to this kind of model. And then you're contributing to securing systems. So, and the more concrete point is, um, we're trying to build that model, that P&I diagram for security. Um, with every project we're having as security consultants, we are enhancing it. But we can't do it alone and we don't want to do it alone. Um, we, it, it's, it's not the right way that we as security consultants, we as a security community develop all this. We need control engineers and we need automation engineers to step up and contribute and tell us what information they need. They need to go into that. We need to figure out what the entire automation engineering process looks like and where we can slip security into the earliest in order, in order to make security by design possible. Um, and, in order to do all this, I can provide a first short model, um, and I will. I will over the next years. I will. I will provide ideas how to how to um, start over. Start with that model, but I need you and I need security engineers and I need control system engineers to participate. And uh, if you do have ideas, you're welcome to reach out. Andrew, we mentioned earlier that if there's anything complicated about the interview that we just heard, um, Sarah's S4 talk clarifies a lot of these concepts. Um, what is the title of the S4 talk? Where can we find it? Uh, you can find the, the S4 talk on YouTube. The title is Layered Blueprints for OT Security. Layered Blueprints for OT Security. Um, search, you know, if you go to Google and search for that and throw S4 into it, or, you know, Sarah, if you get her, her name right, S-A-R-A-H, Flukes, F-L-U-C-H-S, uh, it should come up as the first hit. Okay. Well, in that case, thanks to Sarah Flukes for speaking with you, Andrew, and thank you, Andrew, as always, for speaking with me. Always a pleasure, Nate. Thank you. This has been the Industrial Security Podcast from Waterfall. Thanks to everybody out there listening. <laughs>